Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Carol Jewell. Carol's the Chief Information Officer of Synchrony Financial, a $19 billion financial services company that was spun out of GE Capital in 2014. The firm offers a wide range of specialized financial products, innovative customer solutions, and digital capabilities across a broad spectrum of partners. As CIO, Carol leads Synchrony's overall information technology strategy, digital transformation, and payments innovation. Prior to her current role, Carol was the CIO of GE Capital Retail Finance. In this interview, we discuss two strategic decisions IT made to rebuild its technology at the outset of Synchrony and Carol's talent strategy, including why she looked for individuals who wanted to stay beyond the company's IPO and were willing to learn. We discuss how health and safety has become a requirement of digital transformations, the company's three-pronged artificial intelligence approach around machine learning, intelligent virtual assistants, and robotic process automation, and how the company uses machine learning models to better understand and detect fraud sooner. We also talk about steps Carol and the company have taken to support its employees through the pandemic, including launching a virtual summer camp and an after-school program to help synchrony parents and kids, among a variety of other topics. This interview features insights from my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. It's available now for pre-order on Amazon or through gettingtonimble.com. Stick around after the interview to learn more. Carol Jewell, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you, Peter. So excited to be here with you on Technovations. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, it's a pleasure. Well, I thought we'd begin, Carol, uh, with your role in your company. Uh, you are the Chief Information Officer of Synchrony. And I wonder maybe if you could take a moment for those who may be less familiar with Synchrony to perhaps provide a brief introduction to the, the, the organization, its business model, as well as your purview as Chief Information Officer, please. Sure. Great. Thank you. Um, so Synchrony um, is a premier consumer financial services company. We were the, the financial services IPO out of G Capital in 2014. Uh, and so we had really the unique opportunity to be this 80 plus year old startup coming out uh, at a time when financial services and technology was really, really colliding in a unique way. Um, so we offer uh, a wide range of specialized financing products, innovative customer solutions, um, you know, digital capabilities across a broad spectrum of partners. Uh, we are a B2B to C uh, predominantly uh, and go to market through our retail partners, although we do also have uh, direct-to-consumer products and uh, an online digital bank. So as the CIO, you know, my role is leading the overall information technology strategy, our vision, uh, digital transformation, and how we continue to focus on payments innovation. Uh, and you know, one of the, the key things is as we became Synchrony, we had this really unique opportunity um, to, to rebuild the technology foundation from the ground up. So when you think of a company of our size and scale, very infrequently do you have this opportunity as you become a new company to reinvest in replatforming technology, especially at the time. You know, it's hard to think today what we were dealing with in 2014. It feels like ancient history. But in 2013 and 2014, as we became Synchrony, we were able to lay the technology foundation that has allowed us um, to really be on this digital transformation journey, this cloud journey, this AI journey in a really unique way because we had the opportunity to 
make synchrony new and unique um, and really invest in technology. Um, and that's really, you know, one of my passions in, around innovation is when you can get those building blocks right, how do you constantly challenge yourself to use them differently? Um, and so I think, you know, under, under my leadership over the last, you know, synchrony over the last, uh, you know, six years, um, it's really using that technology reset to drive growth for our partners, to engage with partners differently and to attract new and different uh, partners for us. You know, we recently launched uh, during the pandemic two key uh, two key partnerships, um, uh, you know, a really cool product with Venmo. So we are the premier um, issuer of the Venmo uh, credit card on the Venmo network, as well as a partnership uh, with Verizon. And we can talk a bit more about those uh, as we go through the interview. Excellent. Well, I'd love to uh, go back a little bit to, to the this really interesting notion of rebuilding the technology foundation and this this this. Um, opportunity that you had at the the outset of your tenure with Synchrony and, and into your tenure at, at Synchrony to, to rethink how the organization might manage its technology portfolio and modernize it and so on. I wonder if you could take them. No doubt there are many, many different aspects to that, that uh, in and of themselves could take our entire interview. But what are some of the highlights of the things that you focused on first, uh, or perhaps um, had the greatest impact as you thought about rebuilding the technology foundation? Sure. This this is one I've. Um, this is a story that I, I love to tell because it, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And to your point, we could spend a whole podcast on this. So I'll try to be brief. Uh, that opportunity to rethink when you have to when you have to take all of your technology and you know remove move it, rebuild it, or buy it all new. You know, we made decisions to whether we build new data centers. Um, and that was a strategic decision because at the point in time, we weren't ready to go right to the cloud. There was nothing we could do that would get us to the cloud. So we laid a journey that said, here, let's, what do we need to do to lay the foundation so that we can invest in technology very strategically so that we can begin the journeys that we know are ahead. So I always said to my team, you know, you, we have to think about data centers as a pit stop along the way. Let's not marry them. Let's not fall in love with them. They have to serve their purpose, but we have to think about what do we need to be doing to continue and challenge ourselves so that we can move as technology moves. Because we were beginning to feel in 2014 the accelerating race of technology change and innovation that we're also feeling daily now. But back then it was, it was you know, nascent in many ways in, in financial institutions. And so I think the decisions that we made, I think a couple key ones. Um, we really were able to build information security in from the ground up. When you can redesign your, your data architecture, when you can redesign your, your infrastructure, your security can be designed in, which is a huge opportunity when you think about how, the, how you can move quickly later on, how you can drive speed when you have security built in. The other key piece that we focused on was around talent. I think when you when you want to build a company that's going to move quickly, when you want to build a company that's going to be able to respond to the market, how do you align your talent strategy with that? And as we were going through a you know a massive transformation to become Synchrony, we had an opportunity, and I had the privilege, you know, to build teams. And when you can be very deliberate around the skills and talent you need externally, as well as the talent you have internally, how do you bring them along with you so you have a cohesive team? So there was a ton of work we did just around that intersection of we need a lot of expertise from the outside. We have a lot of internal expertise. And how do you marry those two together? And when I think about the pieces I'm most proud of is the journey has been great, but you have to have the right people to do that. And that takes a lot of work. 
Yeah. Talk a little bit about the skills of some of those people. That's a really interesting point that you make. And and obviously you could have the greatest technology in the world. If you don't have a great team around you, it doesn't really amount to much. And and so as you thought about that, this, you know, pace of change, as you put it, and moving at the pace uh, of the change, uh, what were some of the skills that rose in importance uh, and, and have continued to do so through your six plus years as the chief information officer at Synchrony? Great question. I think we, you know, as we were previously, you know, part of a larger company, there were services you got from a larger company that you depended upon. Um, You know, I sort of called them electricity. When you actually have to no longer flip the switch and have it working, you have to build it yourself. You have to think about those things very differently. Uh, So from a business CIO to a company CIO is a a transition that was really, you know, um, really exciting and, and challenging on many fronts. When we think about the skills, I needed to balance the needs of talent to address the journey we were on. You know, a company of our size and skill embarking on an IPO can attract a lot of folks that are really excited about that event because there's a ton of, of work that needs to get done to get to that actual moment. But what we needed to make sure is the talent that we had were the folks that wanted to be here beyond that, that they wanted to be able to stay engaged and help grow the company. Because it's, you know, getting to an IPO is obviously extremely, extremely important on all fronts that we all understand. But then ensuring that the talent that you have are the folks that are going to help take you to the next level. What I needed, and, and really when, you know, yes, you need all the very specific skills, you know, you need all the right engineering, you need all the right uh, folks that are able to adapt from, you know, software developers to reliability engineers to all the transformations that need to occur. But really what I needed were folks that were willing to learn. You know, one of the things that I think for me personally that has helped me in my career, like I'm a continuous learner, like that's what I thrive on. And so having folks that are willing to learn and adapt and change, like when you think about building a team, no team looks the same I mean, in today's day and age, they turn, you know, teams are changing quickly, but, you know, year in and year out, your team needs to be able to adapt. So that adaptability, that resiliency, you know, and, and that ability to learn because, you know, unlike other fields in a, gen, in a company, in a public company, technology is the one that is changing so fast and the expectations are rising. And so if you can help your team and support them through that rising set of expectations so that they're constantly learning and adapting, you maintain the depth you need because there's a ton of business expertise, but you're also pushing folks to be on, on that cutting edge. As we were, you know, as we were developing our AI strategy, you know, how do we ensure that we're bringing those that business expertise and giving folks the opportunity to learn AI and bringing in experts from the outside and marrying those together? Because I think as a technology leader, you you need both technology for technology's sake is not going to solve anybody's problems. But when you connect it with the expertise of how the business process works, the history of the technology decisions, and you marry them together, you know, that's what I said. That's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. You mentioned also at the outset of our conversation, uh, Carol, that two imperatives that you and your team have been working on are digital transformation and payments innovation, um, two, two big topics, important topics. And I wonder if you could take a moment and sort of unwind each of those a little bit to, to talk about some of the steps related to each. Sure. Uh, you know, payments innovation. So in our space, you know, in financial services, um, you know, payments are, you know, have been evolving ever since the onset of Apple Pay several years ago in terms of, you know, digital payments, mobile payments, contactless cards. But interestingly, I think through the course of the pandemic, really, it's become about sort of this idea of like contactless purchasing, contactless everything. And so 
payment has become a critical part of how you do that, but ensuring that end-to-end digital transformation allows for the consumer to have choice. Um, you know, we've been on the journey for years, and it's everything from, you know, in I would say in in, in a credit card company. I think everyone can appreciate what we do because most everyone has a credit card. You apply for a credit card, you transact, you service, uh, you pay your bill. I mean, digitally transforming that and integrating that all into a, in, into a seamless customer experience so that you are getting what you need and we're meeting you at that moment. And as consumer behavior is shifting, you know, ensuring that we can have the ability for, you know, through the pandemic, what became paramount which I think was never a requirement of a digital transformation until the pandemic was health and safety. So how do you ensure everything you're building is allowing for someone to feel safe and secure as they're interacting digitally? And, you know, when you're just, you know, by yourself on your phone, it's one experience, but as, you know, think about essential retailers, as they were staying open during the pandemic, how did we help enable technology that allowed for a customer that needed to go in store to interact in a way that was safe and secure. So, you know, how do we start uh, start an interaction at a point of sale in a store, but complete it on your phone through a direct to device type event? So, how do we con- how do we continue to innovate? And I think the keys for us, one of the, the main things we've been focused on is our open banking API platform. And you know, APIs are, are are obviously everything you know in the world is becoming an API ecosystem. But I think for us specifically when we really thought through the journey of our customers, the experiences we need to enable, how do we then leverage those APIs? How do we build them in a way that we can, um, I'm a big I'm a big Lego person, my kids love Legos. So I think of APIs and microservices as Lego box. And I love when you come and you get the Lego and you make exactly what the book tells you to make. Because there is something fulfilling to get to the end of that. But let me tell you, when I've spent that much money on Legos, we then in my house have like projects around what creative things you can do with that same set of Legos. So how do you then rebuild those pieces in a way that you can create a different experience? Like that is the holy grail. So you build, you know, technology and APIs create an ecosystem for speed and flexibility. But the true pinnacle of that and which gets me excited is when my engineers can say, hey, we have a customer solution that we need to put together. How do we look at all the pieces we have and leverage them differently? You know, this the, these days of, you know, standalone solutions or custom built applications, like th- th- those are, those have to be things of the past, but when you can build a flexible architecture, you know, through cloud native applications and APIs, and then the other holy grail of this is having that data ecosystem that can allow you, if the data is the lifeblood of that, can allow you to make that customer experience so much more enriching because it's a great experience. But if the data then is driving, either helping the customer make a decision, you know, giving them an offer that they're going to be able to use, the connection of that, again, is just really, really exciting. Yeah. Uh, not not long ago, uh, Carol, you and I shared a virtual stage at a conference, uh, and the topic of our conversation was artificial intelligence. You, you had a, a number of really interesting facets uh, to AI that you were bringing to life. Uh, you mentioned it at, at our, our previous conversation. Uh, and I wonder if you could take a little bit of time now and and uh, mention the same. I think it's really interesting to, to, to hear from you as to how you think AI applies in an organization like yours and where you're deriving value from it. Yeah, so AI is, you know, a huge part of our strategy currently and going forward. And we see it as a competitive advantage for us and our partners into the future. Uh, But, 
it is really for us it's about AI and humans augmenting one another. Like our strategy is is very human interactive, and, and, it, and it's and that is by design. We have a three pronged approach to AI, and I'll double click on each of those. So the first is just around machine learning, and that's around enabling better predictions. The second is around intelligent virtual assistants, and that's in, improving the customer experience. And then the third is around uh, robotic process automation, which really focuses on efficiency. Um, and so those, when we think about our, our, our overall AI strategy and how we've approached this in the company, those are the three areas where we're focused that have the most meaning, meaningful impact for our partners and our customers. And so for machine learning, as I mentioned earlier, we have this very large data ecosystem. Uh, and so one of the things that we, we have the opportunity is to leverage that data to make better predictions in many ways, either from a marketing perspective, from a personalization perspective, to help you engage the customer or from an impactful perspective is really on the fraud, on the fraud side. So machine learning models uh, and how we look at fraud across our portfolio have been very, very significant in terms of helping us understand and detect fraud much sooner. So, you know, when you have a model that can look for correlation across significant amounts of data that historically a human analyst would not be able to consume and find the correlation. When you have a machine learning model that can begin to see patterns in fraud that were not detected previously, it allows you to react more quickly. It allows you to be proactive with that customer who is potentially a victim of fraud and they don't know that yet. So that's where the intersection of you know big data sets, machine learning, and an ecosystem that gets that data into the model quickly can create a much better much better customer experience as it relates to fraud, um, and you can you can stop it sooner. You can you can, you can help the customer, uh, and then ultimately you can help with um, the the loss problem that exists in the fraud space. And I think you know the the strategy around data is key. Uh, you know, obviously one of the things we did when we became Synchrony is we really focused on what is the infrastructure and architecture we will need to leverage the data that we have. And we recognized historical data warehouses were, were fit for purpose around reporting and analytics. But as we became synchrony, you know, 2014, thinking about the true data architecture we needed, and we built, you know, the data lake of the future. And how do we then, you know, allow the scientists, you know, to build the models using, again, we're hiring folks with new sets of skills, new sets of tools. You know, how do we how do we how do we teach the folks to fish efficiently with the tools of the future so that we can build the models that will help, you know, in this case, you know, specifically around fraud for the business. You know, intelligent virtual assistants, I think that we have an AI-powered chatbot, really important for us to get consistency around how we engage with our customers. And so our ability to have our chatbot, you know. Uh, learn as we encounter different types of customer service questions. You know, we use this across 35 of our retail partners and we've actually been deploying it in our call centers as well to help our associates uh, who answer the phones, again, to get consistency in how they are interacting with their customers. Because we all know when you're a customer and you want an answer, you want to get a consistent answer across all the channels that you're connecting with us in. Uh, and then really the last one is around RPA. You know, RPA is... Uh, is a huge area of opportunity for us in terms of automation, uh, back office processes, things that, that that just oftentimes haven't had the true ROI to build a full technology solution. So this is where RPA has been really interesting for us. 
I think the first thing we did, though, is we wanted to make sure we could govern it in a way that we had the right oversight of it because bots are great, but bots that are making mistakes, you know, exponentially faster than a human actually results in something that's really bad. And so we started off very cautiously. We, we wanted to build the use case around RPA. So we took a few specific areas of the business where we, we knew there was an opportunity for automation. And again, this is an area where we brought the business and um, functional experts into the technology organization and cross-functionally figured out how do you what is the best process for using RPA? How do we think about deploying it? How do we understand the control room of RPA? And then ensuring we can make a sustainable um, a sustainable uh, business case relative to what we were solving. And then how do we take it forward so we can use it broadly? So even as examples, so during the pandemic, you know, when we had, um, you know, when we had shelter in place orders, you know, there were certain things that were, um, you know, needed to be done in the office that just there were certain types of downloads of activities related to some types of reporting um that that all of a sudden we had to figure out what could we do and with within you know a week or two we were able to use rpa to create that work so that we could then enable the teams that needed this information you know in a way i mean it took a, you know i think i think less than 10 days to be honest and it sounds almost like it's impossible but when we we were leveraging the the process we had built the governance we had built, and then a business problem manifested and we applied RPA to it. And that, you know, that opportunistic use of it creates a lot of goodwill as well across the company because you have to balance the desire for automation with, well, what does that mean in the macro? What does that mean? You know, our view is when you when you automate something, you're giving humans the opportunity, you're giving our employees to work on more highly skilled work. Yes, automation does have the opportunity to take out costs, but you don't want to take out cost at the expense of the deep expertise that exists within those teams. So how do we then redeploy those resources to much more impactful work, much more customer focused work? Um, and that's clearly, clearly part of our strategy. That's excellent. And I, I wanted to also ask you about um, you, you talked about some of the impact of the, the the pandemic and it's what it's meant to to you and your organization, some of the things you put in place as a result of that. I wanted to focus on that a little bit longer, if you don't mind, um, especially as you know, as we're speaking now, a vaccine or multiple vaccines have presented themselves. We'll see, uh, you know, how how quickly those can be, un, uh, you know, unveiled and and implemented, of course. Uh, so we're, we're nowhere close to out of the woods, at least uh, as you and I speak. Talk a bit about, as you think about uh, 2021, your own planning and leveraging some of the learnings um, from this most unusual year. Um, what are some of the what are some of the indelible marks as you uh, as you contemplate all that we've been through in this past year? I think we're all being reflective as we wrap 2020 and head into 2021. It's almost hard to believe the year is over, but it's almost hard to believe we actually have lived through this year. So, you know, you know how do you how do you think about that? So, I'll start with. In you know late February and early March, as the early days of the pandemic were beginning, um, you know, I, no one could have imagined, no one, quite frankly. But you know, we made some decisions in early March around our workforce that I think were the were clearly the right thing to do, hundred percent. But they actually opened up different opportunities for us. So we sent our our um, knowledge workforce home as of March 13th. No one imagined we would still be sitting here in December. Um, and in that, we're able to make sure that all of our knowledge workers were able to be successful. That really was 
um, tied to part of it was our technology strategy over the last several years. As, again, as we're all been on these digital journeys, we had some pretty big things underway that helped to enable our workforce from home. You know, we, we had been we had been moving to Microsoft Teams as a company, so we were able to accelerate that during the pandemic, so that we had the ability to connect you know, over video calls much more regularly than just the normal, you know, big meeting that exert, you know, exists on, on, on WebEx or Zoom. So that was a, a key component. We were changing, we were changing out our authentication mechanisms in a way that we now had modern authentication that we could allow in very specific ways to make sure we could securely connect. So authentication was changing. We were also looking at, and we're deploying, you know, much broader, um, um, uh, proxies in the cloud, much broader um, um, tools and technologies that will allow us to authenticate and connect um, to VPN. So it was interesting that those three things allowed us to move really, really quickly and to scale so that we had no issues where we didn't have capacity. So that was sort of the, you know, the nuts and bolts of getting people home. The next challenge was really around, so we are, you know, about 4,500 knowledge workers. You know, we have 12,000 uh, associates who work in our call centers and our collection sites globally. Uh, and so once we got all of our employees home, you know, our, again, early days of the pandemic, we only knew what we knew. We originally thought we would be able to social distance our associates in our call centers. And after a couple of days, we realized that this was not going to work. This was not something that we saw as a strategy. And so, you know, by 16th or 17th of, of, um, of March, we embarked on this process to move all of our associates to work from home. Now we had a pilot, uh, I'm sorry, we had a program we were running with about 800 associates who were working from home, um, but there was no model yet to scale this. Uh, and so what we what we did is quite frankly, we launched this idea of a command center, which is how we do really big transformational things. We pull everybody in, you run a 24 by seven with military precision in an agile mindset. So the, I always say you can move with such speed when the mission is clear. So we rallied around hashtag get our reps home. We did a massive technology transformation. We took all of our associates in the US who were normally working on, you know, stack Dell desktops and converted them to Chromebooks. So we started buying Chromebooks probably, you know, March 15th, placing orders anywhere we could get them. And we transformed our technology so that every associate in the US was now using a Chromebook, connecting via VDI into all of our applications. So in the amount of training and logistics it took to enable all those folks and to get them home within two weeks. I mean, I look back on it and I'm like, I don't even know how we did that. I mean, we did it because we had this, you know, health and safety was the, the number one. You know, we, myself, my team, my colleagues, we were all sitting home safely. And our colleagues were going into harm's way every day. We didn't know all of the things about this virus that we know now, but we just knew we needed to get them home. And so that was a huge part of the rallying cry. The other piece of that was at the leadership level across Synchrony, um, you know, I've been the driver of our agile transformation for the company, and we've done tremendous, made tremendous strides, but really the pandemic accelerated that. So as an, as an executive management team, we began really operating agilely. You know, I became the scrum master of the management committee and we were meeting twice a day. We were we were doing stand-ups. We were talking about quick decision-making. We were informing, we were deciding and we created this behavior at the leadership level that began really, really permeating the company. So the goodness that can be created out of something so terrible begins this transformation 
of, of how we work. I think no one could have imagined as we got everybody home in the US and we did the same thing in India and the Philippines. We got all of our associates home in India and the Philippines. So, you know, since the beginning of April, 17,000 employees across Synchrony have been working from home. And the technology to enable that really came together in a way that we had the right building blocks to allow that. You know, additionally, we we very quickly certified AWS workspaces to give us another mechanism for VDI for connection. I mean, we just we were just constantly iterating and then ensuring that we had the right security controls around all of what we were doing. I mean, that was paramount as well, given the nature of our work and the nature of the data that we have. Um, but I think at, to your question around what does that what does that, how does that make us think about the future? Um, I think no one could have imagined in such a fast moving crisis where we were so committed to solving the health and safety and stabilizing the company that it would actually open up our eyes to new ways of working. Like I never thought that every technology job could be done remote. I just, I, I had my doubts. I said, well, you know, I'm not really sure. I will fully admit I was wrong. Like, Everything we do can be done successfully remotely. We have to be very deliberate about it. We have to think about, you know, how we engage, how we connect. Being on video in some ways and this pandemic has been a bit of the great equalizer. Everyone is in the same place. Everyone is home and working and trying to connect. There, you know, the playing field was leveled. And we also get to know people in different ways. You know, you and I, we're seeing each other in, in, in each other's homes you know, we're all struggling with so many things that are happening beyond our work experience that that we now talk more, we connect more, we see each other more. I see people more virtually than I ever did in person. And so these connections, I think, are changing the relationships and the expectations. And we're sort of reinventing what we think work should be. And this has allowed us at Synchrony to really think about what is the future of work? How do we expect our teams to engage and how do we think about our strategy for sites and our employees? And so we've developed this idea of, of letting our employees choose long-term, again, post-vaccine, you know, post post-pandemic, do you want to be permanently remote? Do you want to be a hotel or do you want to come into the office? And giving this our employees choice and supporting them in that, not only with their choice, but then the career development that they need in order to continue to grow their career in synchrony. So how can we take all of the, the learnings from this year and create it to be the company that we want to be that offers that degree of flexibility, but also offers folks the opportunity to continue to learn and grow. Because uh, we've, you know, we've promoted people while we're remote, people have taken new jobs. You know, I, I do believe the one piece that, that Synchrony and other companies need to focus on is how do you hire and bring people into the culture? You know, Synchrony has a really strong culture of family like we just have this sense of we treat each other like family and and that's been part of the secret sauce around the pandemic because I feel like my colleagues that were that were not home yet were, were as if my family was in harm's way and so that that family feeling is is something we're trying and spending a lot of time on we created a, a whole work stream called how we work how we lead which has some key leaders in the company on it that are ensuring that we can ensure we can sustain our culture in the new world that will be much more virtual. You know, the other the other key piece of the pandemic that really has the opportunity to see folks in their homes and you know become much more connected on a personal level 
we now know and we're seeing how many folks are struggling through the pandemic. And we have seen, you know, the, the data shows that women are disproportionately impacted during the pandemic in terms of, you know, the stress at work, schooling for remote schooling for children, um, you know, all the challenges. And so, you know, we we have a large portion of, uh, you know, our, we have a large portion of our company that is women at the the um, associate level. I think we're we're probably close to 70% women. And so one of the things that we really focused on is how do we help our employees? We have an employee assistance program that was there to help folks that were having, you know, struggling financially, but what more can we do? Can we be doing to help our employees? And I'll tell you a quick story. So last May, I was having coffee, virtual coffee with my boss one one Friday morning. And she said, Carol, you must be dying for virtual school to be over. Like, this is just hard. I know how hard it is, you know, just trying to balance your job and getting them online and getting the curriculum and getting it all sent up to the teachers. And I said, I'm really not. I said, for as much as it's a challenge now, there is nothing in the summer for these kids. There's, there's, there's no summer camps for the little guys you know, the, the early high schoolers, no one's a junior camp counselor, no one's scooping ice cream, and there's no internships for the college kids. I said, so as much as it's hard on me, every parent is going to be struggling this summer like, with their children. And, and I said, I just, I really, really think and hope we could do something to help synchrony parents because we just, you know, we, we got to do something to help everyone get through the summer. And we just batted around a couple ideas. And I work for Margaret Keene, who's, who's a woman. So between the two of us on that call, we, we really innovated and came up with the idea of synchrony summer camp. And Margaret said, I said, we just got to find something to, and so find something to engage kids. And she said, Carol, just run with it. So by the end of the day, I had, and this is the innovative spirit. I'd engaged some, some colleagues in technology, some colleagues in HR and said, how can we build? And this was in late May. This was, how can we build a summer, a virtual summer camp program to help synchrony kids so that their parents can just, not be stressed all summer that they're they have nothing to do and keeping them occupied and giving them something that's really engaging and so what we launched which is you know one of my proudest moments of, of 2020 was a summer camp program that focused on so kids 13 and under were invited to participate in summer camp if you were 14 and older you got to participate as a, a, a virtual counselor or mentor and then those mentors also had a synchrony employee who was coaching them so you had this virtuous cycle of if the little kids are getting help, the big kids are getting support, and the employees are filling that circle. And we launched a program that was five days a week, everything from STEM education to arts and crafts. Uh, and and the, the, the kids were doing the content. These were kids that were saying, let me teach you. I know how to do this. Hey, I'm studying this in college. I want to give a lesson on this. And it just became this amazing crowdsource energy around engaging kids. I mean, my kids loved it. I mean, you would, you know, my kids were learning things. There was, you know, history stuff, there was culture stuff, there was a ton of sports, and it just created this opportunity for parents to have some time during the day where their kids were engaged. We even created things that were non-screen related because there's sensitivity to screen. And so it was just, it was one of those when you can bring your culture in this idea of, you know, wanting to help your employees. We had over 3,000 campers over the summer. And then it morphs through the, so as we were wrapping up the summer, we said, well, the winter's not going to get any easy, easier. How do we turn that into, what, are the, what is it the parents are going to need? One of the things with kids working virtually in many cases, 
you know, the, the education is not where it needs to be. There are many kids that are falling behind. There are many places, you know, where, where our employees work that there's just not as much access. You know, there's challenges with internet access, there's challenges with the school systems. So we created Synchrony After School with a focus on tutoring and education so that they can have homework help. They can have places they can go, if, you know, again, to get that extra support they need so that we I have a passion around helping to solve the digital divide in this country. And you know, I think the pandemic has been exacerbating this. So in Synchrony's way, we were able to help our employees' children hopefully not fall into that divide by giving them some extra support over these really tough and challenging times. Wow, that's an amazing vignette. Thank you so much for for sharing that, Carol. What what a what a what a remarkable gift to uh, uh, to the families of, of the organization. This this culture that you said say is so familial itself. Um, well, I gosh, I, I um, in conclusion, I'd love to maybe get some of your thoughts about trends that excite you. Uh, we've talked about a number of them that that have been rising and that you've been been writing uh, as as an organization as well. Any others that you'd like to call out just here at the, our, the conclusion of our conversation? I think new ways of working is clearly, 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 clearly changing everything about how we think about the nature of work. Um, you know, when the pandemic is over, I think the world will look very different. You know, as it relates to technology trends, you know, I do think that that the interesting one we haven't talked about, um, and we do have a, a healthcare financing business here, is telehealth. I think healthcare is going to change, and telehealth, and 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 the pieces around technology and the consumption of that, and scheduling visits, and engaging. Um, you know, we actually saw one of our big businesses in healthcare is VET. So care credit has a large portion uh, of our business is VET. And so we were seeing increases in telehealth um, for, for in the veterinary space. I mean, there's just big shifts happening in how consumers behave that is going to change. You know, so veterinarians doing, doing video chats with your dog or cat, like I don't have a pet, but I love pets. And just that whole idea, I think there's so many things that are going to going to change. I think the other is where, you know, I'm interested in watching is just this whole idea of augmented reality. You know, it's it's untapped in terms of consumer devices. And I think pre-pandemic, it was really just sort of a technologist toy. Um, but I think when we look at what the preponderance of the digital transformation that's happening and you can layer on an AR uh, component to that in in retail and consuming, you're going to create this really interesting experience that will be differentiated from your own home and build confidence to make a purchase. So that's one I'm just really excited about watching. It's sort of the intersection of our business in terms of payments with our partners, but I think there's something really there that will be um, you know exciting to watch in 2021. Well, all good thoughts, Carol. Thank you so much, uh, Carol Jewell, for for joining us today for sharing. Uh, uh, bit of your thoughts and experiences from your six plus years now at as the chief information officer at Synchrony. Uh, it's been a really great and insightful conversation. Great. Thank you, Peter. I really appreciate it. Thanks. This interview featured insights that you'll find in my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. In an era of unprecedented technology progress and disruption, it's imperative that companies transform themselves to keep up with their digitally native competitors. In Getting to Nimble, I explore how companies, including Capital One, FedEx, CarMax, Domino's Pizza, The Washington Post, Walmart, and others have modernized their practices related to people, processes, technology, ecosystems, and strategy. And I provide a framework for companies looking to do the same. To learn more, visit gettingtonimble.com. 
Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Wednesday when my guest will be Sridhar Ramaswamy, the founder and chief executive officer of Neva and a venture partner at Greylock Partners.